celebrating the connection with our pets. This is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. The toll-free number is 1-866-405-8405 to reach out to Dr. Debbie or to Joey Villani or anyone of the dream team here at Animal Radio. A couple of weeks ago, we reported that there was mercury found in your pet food. We decided. Nice. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah. yeah. And it wasn't. It was no. It's radio, but I'm shaking my head. Uh, so we decided to get the researcher on who did that researcher. She'll be joining us today. Is that correct? Yes, she will. Okay. And also the dog chef is going to be with us this week. He's a real dog chef. Is he? He's, I mean, that's what he does for a living. Does, yeah. He does a TV show. Oh, he does? Yes, he's a dog chef on oh, TV. So he's the one that has the dog TV TV show. I believe so. I thought dog TV was just for dogs, but now I guess it's for humans and dogs. For everybody. <laughs> I guess the real advertising revenues come from humans and not the dogs themselves. <laughs> uh, but we're going to be talking to the dog chef before the show ends today here at Animal Radio. Joey has just rushed in. What are you working on today? Well, you know what? People have been asking about how do I get my dog groomed at a better rate, you know, a little bit discounted. And I have plans um, for the average person that can't afford, you know, to have their pet groomed. So now you can have your pet groomed. That's why I think Ladybug is so, I mean, she's cost efficient. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, she is. Because she doesn't really require a lot of grooming. She doesn't have to go to a groomer. I just put put her in the sink and she's wash and wear. Some of my neighbors who have these uh, poodles, they've got to be groomed once once a month. And Yorkies. That's got to be costly. Paying for, uh, what kind of car do you drive? (laughs) A Lamborghini? I I did. I don't anymore. I Uh, sold it. Lori, what are you working on today? You know, usually on TV you see Subaru ads that are really pet-friendly and targeting pets. Uh As everything pretty much does these days. But there's another automobile maker that is going to be targeting its ads towards pets and pet owners uh, pretty soon. No surprise. The pet industry is a $67 billion a year industry, and it grows by about a billion, maybe two, every year, it seems like. It's the fastest growing industry, isn't it? It's fun to see everybody from... These other industries jump into the fray. <laughs> Got to figure out yeah. how, yeah. <laughs> yep. Figure out how they can be pet friendly. So that's on the way in just a few minutes. Let's uh, go talk to you now. Hi, who is this? Oh, uh, this is Bill. Hey, Bill, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. I got a question. Um, I have a umbrella cockatoo, and uh, I have a Moroccan cockatoo. That well, the the Moroccan cockatoo I sold to a. Uh, uh, CB shop, Triple T truck stop, and and uh, there's a CB shop there. And the guy wanted a bird, and I had some birds at home, but only two go with me. And the they, they travel I, with you? Yes. In your truck? Semi. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and the umbrella, uh, the, the umbrella I raised in, in my truck, and uh, she's real attached to me. I would never let go of her, but Big Bird, I call him, his name, uh, he's really loud talks a lot, friendly. Um, everybody likes him, but he is really loud and he needs a, a, an or, enormous amount of attention. And I mean a lot of attention. <laughs> so, Makes for a very small cab, I'd imagine. <laughs> oh, yes. And some we've had screaming matches in the truck when I put him in his cage and he wanted out. He would just scream at me and I would just scream back. And we'd have the screaming match and, you know, <laughs> I say, okay, you're not getting out, and you'd scream, ha ha ha, you know, like that. <laughs> so, but 
anyway, I don't know why I sold him. I think it was one of those days where we had one of those screaming matches, and he's and the guy says uh, he I sold him to him. But anyway, he's he's been there for eight months, and I've been checking on him all the time, calling him every month, and I, I miss the bird terrible. Wish you didn't felt, sell him, huh? Oh, I hated it when I when I left the truck stop. I go, oh my god, what did I just do? That bird saved my life one time. Mm. Really? Uh, what? How did you yeah, save so, your what? How did he save your life? Well, I'm a truck driver. You know, truck drivers. You know, they do things and drive and drive and drive. And it was one of those days where I was driving, driving, driving because the snow was behind me, and I wanted to stay keep it that way. And I was driving, driving, driving in Wyoming, and I started to go to sleep. Oh, no. So I Gee. felt myself fading off, and all of a sudden, things just became a blur, and all of a sudden, Big Bird, that's the name of, my, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> name of the bird that I sold, and bit me on the ear. It didn't oh. really draw blood, but he Hello. grabbed a <laughs> hold of my ear, and he pulled my head back and woke me up. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. He really and, saved your life there. Yes, and I, and I, because he bit that close clamping down, and I thought, oh my God, he's grabbed my ear. And I looked up, and I go, oh my God, what am I doing? I almost went off the road, and I just turned the wheel just in time to get it back on the road. And my trailer was swerving a little bit, and the truck was swerving. There was no traffic ahead of me or behind me. It was, it was just pitch dark. Bill, Bill, let me get this straight. You sold the bird that saved your life. That's right. Okay, just wanted to make sure I got this straight. <laughs> Pretty stupid, huh? <laughs> but anyway, that was a few years ago, and when I sold the bird, I go, what the heck did I just do? <laughs> so, so I've have been you... feeling heart sick, yeah. Yeah, have you visited him, or are you just checking, inquiring by phone with him? Well, I visited, I visited him um, one time, and he remembered me and come right up to me. And my other little uh, umbrella came right down to him. When they started talking, we all started talking. We was like a family again, right? Well, the guy, he acted like he wasn't going to sell him back to me because we had this agreement. If he didn't want the bird, he'd have to sell him back to me. So okay. I said, okay. So I, that's what I've been hoping. So I called him back last week, and he said, uh, he said, can you, well, he he said this to the fact, he says, I love the bird to death. He's just, I, I he says, I just love the bird. He talks, he's friendly, but he says he's driving my neighbors nuts, and he's screaming and screaming and screaming. And he says, I think he wants to be back with you or something. I, he's asked me if I want him back, and I said, oh, of course. When? <laughs> Yeah. Well, he sounds, he sounds like he's one of those exuberant children who um, are very loud, boisterous, but once they're out of your life that you kind of say, gosh, it's so quiet without Johnny here. And uh, so are you looking at getting him back then? Yes. Uh, yes, I'm going, I'm driving down, I'm trying to get over there close by Tucson to pick him up. And the guy called me the other day, and he says, are you are you coming? I said, oh, yeah, you bet. I got his cage in his truck, and I got a different truck now. So it's all modified for him because he'll eat your truck if you don't modify it. <laughs> <laughs> I, got a, I got a different truck now, so I, I hope he likes it. But anyway, I got a question. Uh, do you think – well, I got two questions. One, 
every time I, I, I bring food in the truck, I, eat, I love hot dogs. And every time I get in there, Big Bird wants my hot dog. He'll fight me over it. <laughs> he sees me eating a hot dog, he'll fight me over it. And my, uh-huh. my, and my umbrella never used to like hot dogs, but when I sold Big Bird, now he likes hot dogs. So every time I go in there, he wants my hot dog. Uh, this came about one time when I left the hot dog on a dash when I went to fuel. And I went back <laughs> in my truck, and he was eating my hot dog. <laughs> he was eating one end, and the other bird was eating one end, and I just cut it in half and just go at it. So is that, is that safe for them? Well... Hot dogs are certainly probably not one of the the favored health foods for people, and it would probably be the same for birds, but you know what? They can certainly eat a lot of things that we do, and I think what you're describing is there's a lot of social eating when we have birds, and um, part of the fun is sharing the food that the human eats as well. So in a small amount, I don't see a problem with him having a hot dog. Um, You know, certainly a little bit high in some fat-type substances that we probably wouldn't want him to have as a regular basis, but you know, for a treat here and there, if he enjoys it, it's part of your social bonding, I'm all for it. And and I would be very happy to hear him back in your life, um, as loud as he might be. Um, but, you know, especially if he thrives in that kind of um, the traveling environment and being in the cab with you, um, I, I'm, I'm very happy for you, and, and I, I hope that works out for you guys. Yes, and there's, do you think I'm going to have a problem with him getting me back? It, because it's been eight months. I think he's gonna be okay because so see, see one time i left him out of my truck because my wife wanted to keep him at home for a while and then my wife couldn't handle him then i put him back in the truck and then we had a problem for a while but now it's been eight months you think i'm gonna be okay he's gonna be all right <laughs> no i wanted to ask you do you travel with both birds in the truck at the same time or do you alternate um they they both go with me um at the same time what uh, big bird has his own perch on um, on the passenger side, there's a seat I rigged up, and it's got a little um, it's got a little perch there for him, and 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 my wife says he's going to fall off of there, and what she does is when I slow down, I got a little bell there, and he grabs on the little bell with his. <laughs> I would love to I would love to see the picture of your cab because yeah. it sounds like this is the most bird friendly traveling arrangement that you could have and as long as you have some supports where he's able to kind of hold on if there's a shift in, in movement but most birds are pretty good about grasping especially if they're um, you know they're they're uh, uh, they're well groomed, um, and as far as your concerns for him, like I guess you know, if you're concerned about him recognizing or fitting into the family situation, from what you've described, when he's recognized you and your other bird w- when you visited, you know, there's going to be a little bit of acclimation um, in readjusting to the situation. But it certainly sounds like he thrived in that situation. He was excited when he saw you uh, visiting, and and I would say. Um, I, I would be there with open arms and just be ready for and getting your buddy back and, uh, you know, give him a little, little extra space. You know, he might not fall back into the same routines quite as he did before. Um, but I think with time getting back to the routine, you know, he'll, he'll find his place. And, and I think you're going to be very happy. So thank oh, yeah. you. And I, I wish you good luck here, Bill. Um, we'll be anxious to hear how he adapts and gets going um, back on the road. This is Dr. Debbie, Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. 
If Ernest Hemingway was alive today, would he say this to you? Shakespeare, Mark Twain, Edgar Allan Poe, all great writers. And after reading your book, I simply must add you to the list. Wait, you don't have a book yet. So make a free call to Page Publishing. Their expert staff can help you turn your book idea into a real book, a masterpiece that could someday make the bestseller list in hard copy and digitally all across the world. Page Publishing can help you completely take your idea for a book, write it, and publish it. So if you want to join the ranks of some of the most famous authors in the world, call now for a free information kit. Turn your book idea into publishing gold. Make a free call right now to Page Publishing. 888-785-0618. That's 888-785-0618. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. It's Animal Radio celebrating the connection with our pets. Go grab them. Bring them around the radio. They'll want to hear Chef Kevin Matthews, the dog chef. If you watch dog TV, and I'll be real honest with you, I thought dog TV was strictly for dogs, but apparently there's some human shows on there. He has a cooking show and tells you how to cook for your dogs. And he'll be joining us in a, in a few minutes. And why is that so important? Because week after week, we find out that the food that's on the shelves is just not any good. In fact, we found out about three weeks ago that there's more mercury in pet foods, uh, mostly cat foods, I believe. We'll find out the details because we have the actual researcher. Congratulations, uh, Judy, for Thank you. booking this and, and making it happen. We were a little worried it wasn't going to happen. Dr. Sarah Dunham-Cheatham will be joining us in just a few minutes right here on Animal Radio to discuss those mercury levels found in common pet foods off your shelves, off your pet shelves, off your pet store shelves. You know the shelves I'm talking about. Yeah, they had a, an emergency <laughs> in the lab. The, a lab emergency? Lab a emergency. Petri dish fell. Yes. Or they discovered something. Who knows? Okay. <laughs> Lori, what are you working on for this hour? Oh, I'm sorry. I was on Snapchat trying to find a, a fun filter for my cat. You're wild. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's me. Meow. Hal, I got a happy story for you. Okay. Um, happy fairy tale ending even for a group of rescue animals. I won't even call them pets because they were pulled from rescue, adopted, thrown on a movie set, and how it ends will tell you coming up. And let's take one for Dr. Debbie. We have Bill on line three. Hi, Bill. How are you doing? Pretty good. Where are you calling from today? Uh, New York. New York. Yep. Okay. (laughs) What's going on with your animal? I have Dr. Debbie right here. Yeah, doctor. I have a three-year-old English Springer, and uh, she's getting a habit of uh, eating dung. (laughs) Eating dog dung or other animal dung? Yeah, dog's dung. We got... I have another animal or another dog too, and she, you know, they play together and stay in the pen, and I let them out, and they'll run around, and my springer will start that habit, which I was wondering how to break that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's a a lovely dung behavior. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, and and if we're being confined in a now, is this a dog like a, a kennel, like a fenced-in kennel, or a crate? Um, like a crate kennel. Okay. All righty. As far as, and I'm taking it that she's only eating the other dog's poop, or is she eating her own yeah. as well? I I don't know. I try <laughs> to keep them cleaned up. 
and it's I know she's eating stuff out there, and she comes in and just dung breath. So I know that Yikes. she's doing that. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, the reasons for why dogs do this, the, the honest truth is we have a lot of theories, but nobody really knows the absolute certain cause. Um, it, a lot of times we kind of look back at how puppies are, when they develop and when they're with mom, the mother dog actually licks their urogenital area, so they ingest their feces and their urine. And some people feel that this can be kind of a mimicked behavior that just kind of sets in a pattern, and then they just don't kind of get out of. Um, mm. Other times, you know, we talk about the fat or the protein content in the stool, and some dogs are really attracted to things like rabbit poop, um, yeah. feces, you know, different animal feces because there's different compounds, enzymes, uh, proteins in there that may be somewhat attractive. And it's crazy to think that poop tastes good, but you know what? It really does to some animals. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, in some ways, when you have a positive reinforcement for a behavior, it's hard to stop it because they just enjoy it. Now, some of the things we need to do when we have a doggy that is eating poop is, one, we need to take away the opportunity where they can get into that. So that means we have to pick up that poop as soon as it is passed. We don't want to leave that stool left out in their environment where they can get around that in, in just it. The second thing is that we want to um, not make a big deal about it when you do catch them in the act. And mm-hmm. just just like a kid that smacks around his brother or sister for attention so he gets his parents to yell at him, dogs will eat poop because they love to hear us yell, scream, throw things, ah, stop it, stop it, stop it. And that actually again, is a positive reward for that behavior because they just got you off the couch and they just got your attention and now you're paying attention to them. So you want to make sure that you don't react to that that way, but to give them some kind of alternate thing to do. So if a dog is trying to pick up stool, you know, a squeaky toy, a a tennis ball, something you can throw in the other way that is going to get their attention, divert them from the stool, do not make a big deal out of it, do not try to discipline them, make them hold the stool in their mouth or say, bad dog, that's not going to help at all. and then also we want to look at just, you know, keeping these guys from being bored and anxious. So when they do come out of the kennel, we got to divert that activity and energy, get them running, get them doing something so that um, they don't turn, look, see that stool right there and like, okay, that's a great plaything. Yeah. I'm going to go for that. Yeah. Um, so it's okay. kind of a combination of all these things. And, you know, you can do some of the things where people will put cayenne pepper on the poop and so forth. But I think the time you spend walking around with that little Tabasco bottle, <laughs> dressing well, those piles. Yeah, the piles of poop. You might as well um, work on avoidance and keeping that stool out of the environment. So, yeah, and, and there, you know, definitely some people will say, you know, use MSG, add it to the poop or add it to the dog that is passing the poop. Um, and there's a lot of deterrence that they sell on the market. So those things can help, but um, by themselves, they won't solve this. You kind of got to get at the heart of all of these behaviors and, and, and get the dog a job, <laughs> something to yeah. do, and, and then really, um, you know, keep the opportunity to a minimum. Yeah, it's too bad they can't clean clean it up themselves, but... Hey, yeah. <laughs> I like that idea. It's just that opposable thumb thing. You know, they can't quite get that scooper going. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for your help, Doctor. Thanks, Bill, for your call at one 405 8405 This absolutely delicious serving of Animal Radio is brought to you by the grain-free Red Barn Naturals canned food for dogs and cats. Always made in the USA with natural, functional ingredients to support your pet's optimal health. You can learn more over at redbarninc.com. And thank you, Red Barn, for underwriting Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405.
people say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Red Barn canned food for cats and dogs is grain and gluten-free. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. Tesla cars can be expensive, at least in my mind. Uh, but a feature aimed at pets and pet parents might make the price tag worth it. One of Tesla's new car features includes a computer program which stops the interior of the car from exceeding a certain temperature. And even a, a future update for it, they say, it might include a special, what they're calling a dog mode, which would display a message warning those who pass by outside the car not to panic if they see a pet inside of a parked Tesla. And that future update would also include a display of the current interior temperature so any well-meaning stranger wouldn't think they have to break the car's window to rescue your pup. Now, the temperature regulating feature was actually rolled out via software update. That was back in June. It's called cabin overheat. And when the car is parked, it ensures the temperature inside the car doesn't exceed a preset limit. But it's meant for safety, not for your convenience, so that your pet will be safe if you, you know, like some people have done, accidentally leave it in the back seat. You forget about it because it falls asleep. And, you know, maybe for a few minutes, it'll be okay. The company's stresses. It is not for keeping pets comfortable over long periods. But to be clear, the ASPCA does advise never ever leaving a dog alone in a parked car and notes that doing so is even illegal in some states. I think it's kind of well, cool that they're that they're is rolled, isn't that? It's, yeah, I like that idea, and I think that you know you can use that application. You know, I wouldn't say you would leave your children in the car too, but can you have noisy kid um, setting too? <laughs> Good idea. Everybody knows that puppies are cute, right? But did you know that people find puppies at their cutest stage at eight weeks of age? And I think that's perfect too. Um, experts at Arizona State University's Canine Science Laboratory now say they have discovered that peak puppy cuteness actually serves an important purpose and might even play a fundamental role in the bonding between a puppy and its adoptive owner. In a, a recent study, researchers at the university sought to try and scientifically pin down the timeline of puppy cuteness. Um, their finding is that people consistently rate dogs their most attractive and cutest when they are six to eight weeks of age. Now, this happens to coincide six to eight weeks with a crucial developmental milestone because mother dogs stop nursing their babies at around the eighth week, after which pups then have to rely on humans to survive, right? So peak cuteness then is no accident. At exactly the moment when human intervention matters most, Puppies become irresistible to us humans, and we want to take care of them. Mm. So it, it, it also doesn't hurt that humans, um, that we are especially vulnerable to cute things. There's uh, been some research dating back to the 1940s that shows that virtually any creature that has baby-like kind of features, you know, really big eyes, a, a bulging forehead, short limbs, is capable of gaining our love and affection. Mm. Peak Puppy cuteness, PPC. There you go. <laughs> Puppy cuteness factor.
I love it. Okay, there is, if you're an animal movie fan, I always say, <clears throat> you know, does the animal die? And, you know, or something. I, I, I just don't like the sad ones. And this is a, a horror movie, to be truthful, but we found out that the pivotal role of Church the Cat in the upcoming remake of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery movie was so important that it took no less than five cats, feline actors, to pull it off. Each cat had its own trailer with its handler on the movie set, and each was a rescue cat. Isn't that cute? And um, each of those cats found its forever home after its 10-week movie gig was over. I thought it was a really happy ending there, no matter how horrific the movie is. But <laughs> it is set for release, and you can see for yourself on April 5th of next year. And I'm glad cats I'm, are getting some gigs. Are they sag after cats? Do you know if they're union I, cats? Like a lot of shows these days, um, it's filmed up. it was filmed in Canada. Oh. So I'm not quite sure what the Canadian film industry rules up there. <laughs> well, if they have their own trainer and their own trailer, they probably are. I was just so excited that they were all rescue cats, and they all found homes and a great career. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Animal Radio. Coming up next hour, we are supposed to have Dr. Sarah Dunham Cheatham on the phone with us. She was the, the lady who did the research recently about the mercury in pet food. She was the actual one doing the research. No. So I want to talk to her. I'm trying to get her. She's not answering. She's probably busy saving lives and, and doing important research. You know, guys, give her a little break. Okay, she probably <laughs> she probably has a pet food emergency that she's working on. So we'll find out. You know who we do have? And I'm very excited about this. We have Dr. Excuse me. We have Chef Kevin Matthews. I just made you a doctor. Awesome. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Hey, if Hal says you're a doctor, you're now a doctor. <laughs> That's what I tell myself. Uh, to my right is uh, Dr. Debbie. To my uh, far right over here is Lori Brooks, our news director. Of course, Judy, you've spoken to him, Hal. And uh, we're very curious about what the dog chef is. I understand you even have a dog cafe. For the most part, it is a dog cafe. You can come in. We, we serve fresh food, um, fresh treats, fresh frozen yogurt. We do make custom meal plans as well, um, in addition to um, candy. And um, we host dog parties here as well it's an awesome place to be so there's no human food it's all it's all dog stuff uh no human food but it is all human grade and looks human edible um you humans could eat it but we do have there is a a a cookie shop a couple doors down and i told them you know i I don't want to compete you know (laughs) then they're gonna start making dog treats it's it's gonna ruin the neighborhood so we just leave it the way it is so how is business are you able to pay the rent Absolutely, man. Now, we bought this place through this business. Um, it's excellent. Uh, we're we're growing so large in Baltimore that the, actually the Baltimore Orioles called us so we could cater their Bark in the Park event at the stadium. We did that twice. Wow, uh, that's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, we made dog uh, little little hot dog cookies and pretzels, and we were doing the frozen yogurt. They loved it. We were doing we were putting the frozen yogurt in a little. Uh, uh, they have those little baseball hats that are actually what they serve ice cream in so uh-huh. we were doing that as well 
it was it was such a cute event. I mean, you could bring your dog to the park, watch the game with your dog. It's amazing. So, what made you start something like this? Well, it's funny. There's a picture that I drew when I was in probably about the first grade, and it had Snoopy with a chef's hat on, and it said "Cook above it." Um, I was always obsessed with the nutrition uh, of the dogs that we had growing up, and I went on uh, to grow up and get into the, the culinary field. Um, and then I just moved it over once I got this awesome dog when I lived in New York by the name of Greta. And I just wanted the best for her. And I started making all of her food. And, and, and I, I actually started doing it because she refused to eat. She refused to eat anything that I brought home. And the last time that I went back to the pet store, I was listening to the radio and I heard about that was when those, those dog food recalls were happening. And what I was trying to give her that she was turning away was that food. So that's what snapped Ooh, me into doing wow. it. Yeah. What do you say to the person like, uh, just like me who wants to cook, but just I don't really have a lot of time to cook for my animals? That's why I'm here for you. Okay. I'm here for <laughs> you. But you're in Baltimore. <laughs> and, I, and, and I know you make meals for, you know, the Baltimore residents, but uh, what about us over here? Hey, well, check it out. I have a mini cooking show on Dog TV running right now. Um, it shows you how to make a few treats here and there. We do have classes at our location. But we also ship um, we ship our food across the country. Um, if you go to the website, uh, at com, you can see we do make meal plans, and we ship. That's got to be pricey. It's pricey, but, you know, it's if you weigh it against what you would be paying for vet, vet bills, then it's it's worth every cent. None of the dogs in this in this building have ever been to the veterinarian, and they're all... I don't like hearing that. That's not a good thing. (laughs) Preventative care is very important. (laughs) Absolutely. It is a bad thing. If you don't see a veterinarian, you have to have a basic understanding of your pet's overall health. And unless you have a veterinary degree, you know, that is not something that we are keen enough to develop on our own just from books studying at home. So I think anything. That's not what I'm saying. They have they have veterinarians they go to, but they don't. I mean, they get checkups or whatever, but we don't have any. All right any issues with them because they're healthy. In fact, the vet doesn't like it because they don't. We just go say hello, maybe get a nail trim once in a while. Um, All right. Get a clean okay. bill of health and walk on down the road. I got to imagine there's a book deal on the way, right? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Yeah, we were wondering it's where funny, that book was. It's funny that you mentioned that. Um, it's not out yet, but I am writing right now. It should be out after the 1st of January. Okay, because I just want to know how to do this, how to, because I really do, I see the crap that's on the shelves right now, and I hear about, like we just reported, this mercury that's in, in our uh, cat food and dog food, and I see how my animals have died, how they, they've, come, they've succumbed to horrible diseases that, while I can't scientifically point to the pet food, I could pretty much kind of maybe a little bit assume that the pet food might have had something to do with their ailments. And so, yeah. I would, I would, I would say so. We are with Chef Kevin Matthews. We got to take a quick break. We're going to find out more about cooking for your dog coming up next right here on Animal Radio. Stick around. Do you travel with your dog? Of course. My pets are part of our family. Me too. I take Daisy with me everywhere. Right, Daisy? So how do you find out what hotels welcome your dog? I read Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Sounds perfect for planning our next vacation. Right, Daisy? It is. 
Their motto is leave no dog behind, and they have great hotel and destination reviews. Where can I find the magazine? Go online to FidoFriendly.com. I will for sure. Come on, Daisy. We're off to find our next adventure. It's Animal Radio, celebrating the connection with our pets, and we are hanging with Chef Kevin Matthews, the dog chef. You're a, a raw food or a raw diet kind of guy, right? Um, you know, you have to look at how a dog digests food as opposed to how a human does and look at and look at what is in that bag and how it's made and how it reacts to the system inside of the dog. Dogs were not Okay, made I'm, to I'm eat curious. That. You have to elaborate on that. Okay. How many wolves do you know that cook their food? I really I less than I can count on one hand yeah. probably. Yeah, right. Yeah. And when they do eat food, it's fresh. It's a source that they know. They are they are they are personally attacking the food and it's it's just that fresh. It's not dried, um, it's not abrasive, it doesn't it doesn't have any chemicals or you know, additives to keep it fresh on a shelf for ten, twelve months. If if a if a wolf sees a dead animal that's been outside for ten months, he's not going anywhere near it. Um, so we have trained these dogs to eat this types of food. And the way you do that, because it wouldn't be attractive to a dog, is you put all these things in it that smell attractive, like, you know, liver, for instance, when you're using beef. But it's not like you feeding it real beef or a little bit of liver. You don't want to feed too much liver because it's, it's kind of harsh. Once you kind of know how, how dogs, you know, they're not even supposed to be chewing food. It's, it's funny how people say, oh, my dog doesn't chew, he just swallows. Well, look at how, again, I'll just use the wolf again. A wolf bites, pulls, and throws it in the back of his throat or his esophagus, and it just goes down. Um, that's normal. Um, you can't do that with kibble. If you take a piece of kibble and you rub it against your skin, you, it, it's, it starts to hurt after a while. Imagine what that does to the, in, the inner organs of a dog. I'm sorry, Dr. Debbie, did you want to? Well, no, I just, I was going to say that, you know, also, you know, when we compare wolves and dogs, um, one of the adaptations that dogs have had over the years is a process called domestication. And so today's dogs are domesticated and have learned to live closely with humans. So um, their digestive tracts are, have actually adapted and changed and altered. So they are not necessarily the same as what you would find in a wild canid out there, a coyote or a dog, because they have made their life kind of sneaking food, living close to people, getting what we have had. Um, and it's not to say that the process of domestication is wrong and it's led to bad behaviors. Dogs have learned to adapt to what we've eaten. And um, we just always assume nowadays that they should eat the same things we do. And so mm-hmm. um, I think that we just have to step back a little bit from that and, and analyze it. Because we're not telling people to feed their current pets like a wild wolf. Um, because no, you know, we obviously not. don't want them cheering carcasses up and, and <laughs> things like that. Um, so whatever works for the convenience, the nutrition, and the well-being of the animal is important. So I, I'm all for feeding the individual pet. Um, but I, I just want to kind of keep things real when we talk about so wild I'm not picking and... up any roadkill and feeding it to my dog. Okay? <laughs> not, not even if it's fresh. Not yeah. gonna you do know, that. the other day I had Nikki and she was out in the woods and she had a deer leg in her in her mouth and I was like, really? Oh. She was so proud. She had a little bit of flesh on the end of it. And, okay. You know, it, it's an instinct. She She's drawn to it. So, um, But no, I didn't ask her to do that. She just did it on her own. Uh. Do you, how do you feel about raw food? 
I'm not a fan, um, but but I've also treated the um, the negative sides of that. And, and you know, well, what are the negative sides? Don't don't just run <laughs> off and drop that bomb. Well, the downsides are just the foodborne illness that um, the individual dogs that I've had to treat, cats, um, and then as well as, you know, the bones, uh, injuries, and things like that. Um, so it can be done well, and I know clients that have done it, but I am not a fan of it. I just, you know, again, I have to treat the bad stuff, so I um, I also don't cook for myself. But don't so. you fear what you're seeing on the shelves in the, in the pet stores? I mean, doesn't that freak you out and, and the research that we're finding out? Well, you know, there's a lot of the same things that are happening in our foods, too. So when we talk about things like, uh, you know, we were talking about the other day about um, the herbicides that are showing up in um, animal food products. They're also in human foods. So this isn't just necessarily an animal food problem. It's also a, a human um nutritional problem and we really have to look at where we're sourcing our foods i'm a fan of organic um so uh i I think that's a great idea and if you want to do raw food organic for your pets um hey have at it there's really tight regulation for human grade food compared to uh uh, what's on the shelves there's barely any regulation yeah there's none i gotta agree with you on that and um there just needs to be better options across the board because like the veterinarian said there are people like her where she doesn't believe in the raw, probably because she's had she's had bad experiences sure. because people do it the wrong way, but but most but the majority of of, of Americans don't make their dog food. Yeah. So we need to, as on on a whole. I mean, I can't go up to a dog food company and ask them to do anything, but people need to start having these these companies take responsibility. They're making millions and millions of dollars a year. Well, I couldn't this is, I couldn't disagree with you on that at all whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but we are out of time. What's your website so people can go visit you? Okay. It's www.thedogchef.com. Thedogchef.com. Of course, we'll put links to everything you've heard on today's show over at animalradio.pet. Chef Kevin Matthews, thank you so much for hanging with us today. Hey, thank you, guys. Have a great day. Take care of yourself. Dr. Debbie, would you recommend um, maybe a human-grade raw diet over a dog food, regular dog food raw diet? You know, the only thing I would prefer to see some sort of, um, unless you're really dedicated, I've had a few clients that are super dedicated to, you know, they have the kitchen set up, they handle the food kind of like, uh, you know, like they'd be feeding it to a human, you know, they wash each surface, there's no sharing of the instruments between the ingredients, um, and it goes straight into the bowl, then they disinfect the bowl in the feeding area, so it it all is very almost military-like, but that is, I think, a hard thing to do, and to do it in a really strict way, so to have a, a food company that is using those kind of stringent handling, I think that's where um, you know I would almost rather see people go. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Hi, this is Joy Behar on Animal Radio. Please spay and neuter your pets. Here are today's automotive news headlines. I'm Nick Myers. Hyundai launches the Nexo Hydrogen SUV. It'll do 380 miles on a single full tank of hydrogen. Only on sale in California. It is the only SUV on the market that is powered by hydrogen. And as the infrastructure grows, so will the sales. Hyundai are also bringing their electric SUV to market, the Kona EV. It will do 258 miles on a single charge. Although pricing is yet to be announced for both vehicles, they'll be available at the end of the year. For more, go to OurAutoExpert.com. 
Com. Think O'Reilly Auto Parts for all of your car needs. We're close, convenient, and known for our guaranteed everyday low prices and excellent customer service from professional parts people you can trust. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. Welcome, my friend. If you just tuned in, you missed last hour, that's okay. You can go on over to animalradio.pet and listen to it again. What will you hear? Well, we just visited with Chef Kevin Matthews. He made me real hungry, talking about cooking for his (laughs) animals. He has a, a dog cafe. I don't see enough of those. There should be more dog cafes oh, around the country. Should be one on every block. Yes. Yeah. Especially with the way pet food is these days. Hey, Dr. Debbie, you know, um, the dog chef, Kevin Matthews, was saying, he said a couple of times about how uh, liver, which is an organ meat, might cause other things in dogs, but he never elaborated on that. And in humans, I know it can cause gout and other things that rich organ meats can. What is the effect of, of an organ meat when you feed it excessively to a dog? Well, there's a couple concerns. Um, some are similar to people, some are a little different. And in animals, it's very um, dense in vitamin A. And that can actually, you can um, cause a toxicity by feeding too much vitamin A. So that's one of the reasons that it's not a, um, you know, a, a primary meat source that we use on a daily basis. The other thing is it's also high in cholesterol. And that's one reason for people that um, it's uh-huh. really an organ meat like that is really not um, something we would um, want people to eat on a regular basis. Um, um, for me, I have kind of the ooh factor. I used to love liver as a kid because I like to touch it. <laughs> in the grocery store, I like to stick my finger in it. It felt so cool, I thought. Um, but it also Only processes you. waste. I, okay, so yes, I'm telling you way too much about my weird childhood. Um, but, but it processed waste. So it basically you know, detoxifies the body. So um, you know, there's also some folks that have concerns about that. Sure. Well, if liver. you're eating something that detoxified another body, doesn't that just put the toxins into your body? Well, that would be the concern. And that gets all to food handling and, and food safety. But I'd say for animals, it's really, um, you know, one of the vitamin A concerns is the biggest. We learned a few weeks ago that there's high levels of mercury in our pet food. And the researcher behind that, Dr. Sarah Dunham Cheatham, she will be joining us this hour right here on Animal Radio. We're going to go to the phones for your calls in just a couple of minutes. Lori working feverishly in the newsroom. What do you have for this hour? Oh, I just found this, and I think it's so exciting. There's occasionally some really great Kickstarter projects, and I get most excited about the ones that are pet-related. And, and this one is is so exciting to people. It raised 10 times the amount of money that it had asked for in just like less than a week. But it has to do with your pet, and we'll give you all the details coming up. I love seeing these Kickstarter programs, and a lot of big companies, I mean, really well-established companies are using Kickstarter now to launch their line of products just to kind of get a feeling of how popular the product will be and if it'll it'll be successful. People even want it. Yeah. Great research these days, and it's free, and they raise money. (laughs) It's It's not free. They actually raise money doing it. Uh, so we'll find out about that Kickstarter project at the bottom of this hour. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. Good afternoon, Pam. Whatever it is where where you are. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm just fine. Thank you for taking my call. What's going on? My sister adopted an 8-year-old Boston Terrier. Sweetest dog. But she has an odor. After about three days after a bath, she has an odor again. It's really, you know, smelling the house up. So we're hoping that maybe you can tell us a good remedy that would not hurt her skin or coat 
that she could use for her. Okay. All right. Well, I've definitely got a lot of a lot of tips on this one. Now, the the big question is that you say that after the bath, the odor goes away. Yes, it does. Okay. Because some of the first things we look at when we are talking about stinky odors from dogs, I look at the mouth, make sure there's no dental disease. I make look at the butt and make sure those anal glands are attended to because those have the most god awful odor to them. Um, yes. it, I'm sorry. I said, yes, they do. <laughs> yeah. So so those things we really work at. Look at that first, and then I'll start attacking and looking at the, the pet's skin as the potential cause. Um, you know, is the is the doggy itchy or scratchy? Have any patchy hair no. loss, anything going on? No, she does not. She's very healthy. Okay. Good. Well, that's awesome. Now, the one of the first things I'll do um, is make sure I replace the dog's collar with a brand new one. Um, okay. Reason is, I solved a dog uh, who had horrible skin odor. Every time after the pets was bathed, it got better, and then it started getting nasty and stinky. And some collars, uh, if you flip them over on the backside, especially the nylon ones, you can actually get a lot of odor and kind of an oil uh, secretion on there. So before you spend any money on anything medical, make sure you check that first. Okay. That being said, then we start looking at other things. Um, I would talk about the food. Uh, examine the ingredients on your bag of food. Sometimes dogs that have fish-based ingredients in their diets can have an inherent uh, odor to their skin. So okay. that too is an easy fix. If you can figure that one out, then you can move down the list there. Next from there, we start to get into some of the skin-related problems, uh, things that might be things like seborrhea or what we term as hyperhidrosis. Those are specific uh, types of skin changes that can happen with allergies, uh, hormone problems, um, some of those type of problems. There's different therapies where shampoos and topicals that we might go with different directions there. The way to figure that out is to see your vet have them do some quick skin tests and to see what's going on on the surface of the skin. Um, if there's not a lot going on and we don't have signs of allergies, then we kind of go and deal with more of this kind of hyperhidrosis, which is basically a lot of the apocrine uh, sweat glands that just kind of produce this, oh, it, it's not even a greasy uh, fluid. It just sometimes feels greasy to the touch and you won't see anything on the skin. Um, so That's for those exactly pets, we... What she's we saying. Ah, okay. So for those yeah. pets, we we don't really want to overbathe, and we want to make sure we address potential underlying causes. And the number one cause of uh, that type of problem can be underlying allergies. So unfortunately, that too, you'd want to get to the vet so you can start looking at some remedies to deal with that and different types of shampoos. Because we don't want to use degreasing shampoos. We don't want to use those type of products on a pet who has more of an allergic uh, skin disease with hyperhidrosis. So um, so that's very different there. Um, those that have more of like the orangey, yellow, sebum, kind of the buildup on the skin, and you can see different things adhered to the skin surface, you know, that's going to be more of a maybe a seborrhea type direction. And that's going to be more decreasing shampoos, things with sulfur or salicylic acid in the shampoos. That's more appropriate for that. Um, and then also, if, if the vet's taking samples from the skin, we really look for mites. We look for things like bacterial infections. And in many cases, we really got to get on uh, therapy for those, uh, be it an antibiotic or an antifungal uh, tablet that can really help tackle that. Because yeah, you will have a temporary improvement in pets that have those kind of infections and then as soon as that bath effect wears off then you're right back to square one so um i don't see how we'll get out of this without going to the vet um but okay. i wish i had that 
that little microscope with me that I could kind of see through the radio because um, that really, um, a little bit of the CSI work really goes a long <laughs> way with these kind of things. And, um, you know, Hal and Judy know that I'm like all about uh, looking under the microscope. And uh, uh, yeah, smells too. I do like to um, diagnose things with odors. So, but uh, We're working on the technology, though, that you can hold up your pet to the radio and Dr. Debbie could instantly cure them. But uh, <laughs> nothing yet, nothing yet. We wish you the best of luck with that, Pam. Hopefully you'll find a solution there. Well, thank you so very much. 1-866-405-8405. Welcome to the show, Pete. What's going on with your dog or cat or iguana or fish? Well, what is it? It's a dog. It's a, he's a 14-year-old Lhasa Apso. He's had a, uh, a tear duct removed a long time ago, and now I'm having problems with his eyes getting all crusty and, and drying up. He, and he only sees his shadows these days, but... Uh, in spite of all that, not right. He seems to always be happy. Okay. So, you, what what is your question then? Uh, what do I do about his eyes getting dry all the time? Okay. Are, are you currently doing anything for that? Are you using any well, products? Uh, we were giving him drops, and they didn't seem to do much. Maybe I need a different kind of drops. Yeah. I mean, especially if he's had some chronic issues, sometimes it's it's kind of hard because it seems like if something doesn't work, sometimes it's there, it, the instinct is to just kind of say, oh, nothing helps. But there are a lot of other remedies out there. So if he's had dry eye or what we abbreviate as KCS, keratoconjunctivitis sicca, it's just a wonderfully long word. Um, so there are a lot of things that we can use. Now, some are kind of the moisturizing type drops kind of like the artificial tears variety. And then there's others that are gauged towards trying to stimulate the eye to do something, to produce some tears or to decrease inflammation. Um, so there's a lot of different things in that regard. Um, if we're not doing anything, there's a lot of room for improvement. And um, I would encourage you to treat this aggressively because dry eyes are some very painful uh, type problems that we have in dogs and in people. Um, I wear contacts, and when I get us a little bit dry, it's just... It's it's like sandpaper on your eye. So if your doggy is having dry, globbery eyes where we can see that the cornea just doesn't have that pretty glisten to it and it's looking kind of dull, um, there's definitely room to help this baby. So I would definitely look at some artificial tear products. Um, one in particular that I like here at our office is called Eye Drop. It, it's a veterinary drop, but it, um, it is a very nice viscous drop that helps to stick around on the eye and to give a nice kind of coating effect. That we usually use something like four times a day for these chronic eyes that are dry. Um, and then many dogs will also need something like cyclosporine or tacrolimus. One or one of those. Um, so if you've tried one in the past with your veterinarian, see about trying the other because we do have variable response with some pets from one to the other. And, um, you know, sometimes it's a matter of having a good bottle of a saline rinse. You can pick it up at the the, the regular old dime store. Um, the same saline rinse that we would use for our eyes? Yes, absolutely. Now, are they called dime stores anymore, or am I showing that I'm from a different era? <laughs> you're not, uh, I But digress, you're, you're but a yeah. young gal. I don't even know why you would even think that uh, you know, I, I so, but you know, I, I have an old soul, I guess. I, yes, I, I said something today to my staff, and they said, Oh, I said, Oh, golly. And they said, Ooh, <laughs> Dr. Debbie's pulling out the big expletives here. But uh, yeah, so maybe I'm a little 
little old in my uh, sayings, whatever. Uh, but anyways, we're talking about eye rinses. And yes, you can use regular old contact saline rinse for your dogs to help dislodge the boogery, crusty stuff on these eyes for pets with dry eye. And that really ought to be done several times a day. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. If Ernest Hemingway was alive today, would he say this to you? Shakespeare, Mark Twain, Edgar Allan Poe, all great writers. And after reading your book, I simply must add you to the list. Wait, you don't have a book yet. So make a free call to Page Publishing. Their expert staff can help you turn your book idea into a real book, a masterpiece that could someday make the bestseller list in hard copy and digitally all across the world. Page Publishing can help you completely take your idea for a book, write it, and publish it. So if you want to join the ranks of some of the most famous authors in the world, call now for a free information kit. Turn your book idea into publishing gold. Make a free call right now to Page Publishing. 888-785-0618. That's 888-785-0618. This is Greg Biffle on Animal Radio, and remember to spade and neuter your pets. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. It's Animal Radio celebrating the connection with our pets. And uh, believe it or not, unlike a veterinarian or a dentist... Your groomer does not need to be certified or regulated. They're not regulated right now. I think they do need to be regulated. They're not certified right now. There's no accreditation for groomers. So when you take your dog or whatever to the groomer, to the, the Petco or the Pet Smart, wherever you take them to be groomed, the person grooming your dog could be... Uh, Someone like me. I could just pick up a pair of scissors and open up a shop and say I'm a groomer. Or even worse. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they'd be worse than me, but... Uh, it appears that... It's, it's crazy. It is crazy. The last couple of months, uh, the last report that I just checked out this morning before the show came in September 30th, uh, Catherine Hess took her canine companion, I don't know what kind of dog it was, for, just for a bath and a nail trim to a pet smart. And apparently, uh, when she went to go pick up the dog, something was just... Oh, no. Something wasn't right. And the next day, uh, she was taken to the vet. Her lungs had collapsed, and she was euthanized. Uh, the same thing happened. Well, not the exact same thing. Something similar happened at a Petco just four days earlier. A Shih Tzu, a seven-year-old Shih Tzu, reportedly sustained a broken jaw during a grooming appointment. Jeez. Fortunately, the fractured jaw, all, all the dog needed was surgery. The dog survived. But uh, very very unusual, Very something strange, and something you, you don't expect when you drop off your dog or your cat because cats get groomed too if you yeah, drop especially just can to I, get a bath yeah wow. i jump in yes okay because i have to jump in here ladies and gentlemen wanna, dog father <laughs> joey Volani, the the top groomer in the nation one thing i do want to say and these are hard numbers um pet smart grooms 5.2 million dogs um a year there was um, approximately 52 deaths that they that they have been recorded in four years. Um, 
I'm never going to say that, you know, uh, looking at the amount of, of, of dogs that were groomed and cats were groomed that, you know, it's only because one, one pet that, that dies um, is too many. A lot of these cases, though, have not been proven to be grooming related um, for a number of reasons. Um, so I do want to come to the defense because if you ever read the, and I never read the pet code, but the pet smart. Their safety manual is like a um, it, it's it's like a a, a phone book. Um, it's about an inch thick, and they actually do have very very good safety precautions in place. The problem, and this is where this this goes awry. The problem is is people look at that, and then when they start looking into the grooming industry, they realize, wow, this grooming industry is not regulated by anyone. Now, when I was a school owner in New Jersey, we had to submit our curriculums to the state. They had to approve it. There had to be structure to it. So that being said, yeah, I mean, I want to see um, people that, that, that have some sort of governing agent over them. The problem that I see coming out of all this, it has to be done correctly. The state of New Jersey and I'm very proud of, could be, has been very proactive of listening to professionals in the industry that have been doing this for a long time, and they are putting together a bill which, listen, there's going to be a lot of people out there that say he's crazy, it's not going to work, which I think is actually a very good bill, which addresses the situations on hand, and that is keeping our pets safe. This is not a groomer um, um issue. It's not even a pet owner issue. It's a pet issue the pets need to be safe and knowing that your groom was regulated is going to eliminate the fly-by-night ones that come in in new jersey the assembly passed this bill 68 yes five no two abstains now it still has to go through the senate but that's a statement that's a statement that they're sending and it's not only new jersey i think there's 15 more states now that now have gotten on the bandwagon that want to see groomers regulated you know what the the, the, the people need to know that their pets are safe. Groomers need to be regulated. If it's done right, it's the seatbelt law. You know what? You didn't like wearing it in the beginning. Now if you don't wear it, you feel naked. That's, <laughs> and I think I've said that before. Yeah. So wh- what is it? Who are the people that don't want this to pass? You know, uh, it, it's besides people in, 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 in my industry, and I'm not going to say all. I mean, it's, it's, it's been very, very divided. Um, the, the, the problem, and I'm going to go both ways. Number one, I'll start with the industry. The industry is a little bit nervous because there's a lot of things that are vague in a bill. Now, me with my other hat of being a, a, a business manager of a trade union, I know leaving things gray sometimes works out for your behalf because you can change it if it doesn't work. If it's black and white, you can't make changes. But the problem is we're not having black and white. There's issues in there that aren't being answered for the industry, which is mostly mom and pop. And they have to, you know, and, and the the people that, that I see complaining are the good ones. They're, they're nervous because the ones that weren't doing the right thing, it's coming down on them. But they need to, I, my feeling is back off and let this come out and, and, and let it, you know, like, like, um, um, how can I say, morphed into something. Let it, let it, let it, let it go. Cause right now we have something workable. And then you have people who just don't like, um, and this has nothing to do with, um, you know, my industry. You got people who just don't like government, um, you know, being on top of, of, of anything. They don't want any more committees. They don't want the states taking on any more liabilities, costing money, that sort of thing. But what everyone's losing sight is the pet is part of our family, and they need to. everyone needs to know that they're safe. Like any other industry, you know what? You need to know that, 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 that things are safe. 
So it's important, at least to me. Amen. Uh, you want to talk to Joey right now? Toll free, 1-866-405-8405. And don't forget, you can also ask your questions from the free Animal Radio app for iPhone, Android, and BlackBerry. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Here are today's automotive news headlines. I'm Nick Miles. It's an electric car when you want it to be and a gas car when you don't. It's the original and most popular hybrid car in America, and it can do 25 miles in on-electricity alone. The Toyota Prius Prime. It starts at under $28,000, and it's one of the most reliable on the roads today. Our favorite part of the vehicle is the large screen on the inside, which allows you to look at all aspects of your environment inside and outside the car. For more, go to OurAutoExpert.com. Think O'Reilly Auto Parts for all of your car needs. We're close, convenient, and known for our guaranteed everyday low prices and excellent customer service from professional parts people you can trust. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. Many transportation providers of all kinds are fed up these days with passengers trying to pass off their pet as a service animal. In fact, recently in Colorado, a passenger boarded a bus there, like a city metro bus, with a boa constrictor wrapped around his neck. Also in the same month, another passenger had a tarantula in his hands, and another was carrying a ferret. Now the Denver Rapid Transit District, or the RTD for short, is all fired up about this. The agency's manager has issued a statement. That message is STOP, stop, caps. The RTD points out that those animals do not qualify as service animals because, well, they cannot be trained to perform a service or a task that their owner or handler cannot perform for themselves. So federal regulations, if you don't know, state that service animals refers to and means only dogs and many horses, not even cats, can be used as legitimate service animals. And many people whose lives depend on a service animal say that all of the fake service animals out there these days are making life more difficult for those who genuinely need them. Occasionally, a Kickstarter project comes along that captures everybody's attention and gets their excitement up and they're in just you know so enthused that it rakes in close to 10 times its funding goal in just a couple of days this is one of those kickstarter projects it's a futuristic looking cat potty like a space saucerish kind of thing it's did you say potty potty did you say potty potty P-O-T-T-Y, okay potty it's a futuristic looking cat potty called Footloose that promises to be the most cutting-edge way imaginable for your kitty to cleanly go potty. So it cleans itself automatically, for one, and monitors the wellness of the feline user. Now, the patent-pending self-cleaning mechanism can distinguish between litter and your cat, so it's never going to move while your cat's inside. And it can even recognize multiple cats and tell you each cat's body weight, waist volume, how often they use the footloose, and for how long they're in there. Plus, wouldn't that be horrible if you were a human? I mean, (laughs) anyway. It comes uh, with an integrated deodorizing unit, even. Uh, Prices on the Kickstarter page start at $299, with shipping promised for June of next year. 
And it tells you how long you were in there. Yeah, that would be well. The cat, not you. Oh, okay. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Doctor Debbie, for edifying that. Hey, the National Dog Show, which airs every year coming up on Thanksgiving on NBC, has announced that two new breeds are going to be added to the competition this year. One of those is the much easier to pronounce Grand Basset Griffon Van Deen. Dr. Debbie, you probably have heard of that dog. Um, I've actually seen only the petite one. (laughs) Oh, really? Now, they say that this, it's, it's kind of small. I mean, it's a smallerish dog. Sweet, shaggy. They say it has impressive stamina. Okay, now the second breed, you can, Dr. Debbie, feel free to correct me if I don't get this right, um, that they're adding. The second breed is, is the Netherlands Kuykerhunja. Um, you know, I, I actually spelled it out phonetically, and I still could hardly say it, and I, I crossed out the real spelling of it, or I would spell it for you. Um, but they, they usually call it the Kuyka by most who have them. They're said to be an easygoing and friendly dog inside, and then when they're outside, they're agile and lively and very intuitive to their owner's needs. So mm. I'm thinking this might be a future service dog candidate. Mm. You know what? We need one of these shows just for mutts. Just for mutts on Thanksgiving. You yeah. Know? The mutts are not represented. Or you know what I used to do when I was a kid is I would make my own animals up and I would like combine the front half of one dog to the back <laughs> half of another and just oh make up these in between breeds and just pretend. <laughs> so we we can make our own mixed breeds up like that. Oh, you were quite the child, Doctor Debbie. <laughs> I love it. You should have seen her schnocker cockerdoodle. <laughs> what? <laughs> Your parents must have had so much fun with you. I don't know if they would probably call it fun. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there was have been so exasperated with you. <laughs> uh, definitely the kicker is when I dissected the lizard on the kitchen table. That kind of pushed me out of the um, beloved <laughs> child category. <laughs> I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at animalradio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at animalradio.com. This is Animal Radio, baby. You know, uh, it was two weeks ago, Lori reported on the mercury that was found in some pet foods. And uh, we, we had to get the researcher on the phone who was dealing with that. Actually did it. Dr. Sarah Dunham Cheatham is joining us. Hi, doctor. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, so you decided to get 100 samples of pet food. Did you just go to the store and take uh, 100 cans off the shelf? And is it moist <laughs> pet food or hard kibble? What, what did you do? Uh, so basically, we went to the store and we identified the more commonly purchased brands, kind of starting at the lower end, kind of the Walmart and Costco shelf brands, um, and then looked at the medium and high range brands as well. And we tried to get an even distribution between dog and cat foods and dry and wet foods as well. Um, some of the items were donated from our own houses because we all have pets, um, and some were donated from our friends and family and peers as well. But most of them were purchased straight from the shelf. Pretty random. Okay, and then what did you do? What did you find out? So for the the study that is currently out there with data, um, we basically looked for the total mercury concentrations in all of those foods. Um, So we weren't looking at the different types of mercury, just all the different types, how much is in there. Um, And we found that of the 101 samples that we tested, that 16 of those samples actually had mercury concentrations above the maximum tolerable limit set by the FDA for pets. For for, oh. for for pet food, so does that mean somebody has violated FDA regulations? 
Absolutely not, because the FDA doesn't have regulations for mercury in pet foods. They have limits that they say um, animals should not be consuming more than this. It it would be a health hazard, but there's no standard that the FDA um, can legally hold the pet food manufacturers accountable for in their foods. So there could be lethal limits. There could be absolutely none, and it's all legal. (laughs) Um, So this is one of the things that we really wanted to test is, you know, the FDA is not overseeing this. The pet food manufacturers are not overseeing this. Um, what does this baseline look like for us and for our pets that we're feeding these foods to meal after meal and day after day and month after month for some for some pets that get the same food most of their life? And you notice this, I guess, mostly in uh, tuna or fish-related foods? That is correct. Um, so of the 100 foods that we tested, all of the top offenders, <laughs> the ones that were all above the maximum contamination are tolerable level living, um, excuse me, were tuna-based or fish-based, which is not surprising, right? Humans have an advisory level. Where, as adults, we're not supposed to eat more than two cans of tuna per month um, because of the mercury concerns. And that should be, hold true for pets as well. Um, and, we, you know, there's a whole literature out there of fish plus mercury um, equals bad. So, you know, that it wasn't a concern to us or a surprise to us that tuna... Uh, based pet foods were the highest mercury concentrations. Um, but it does show a little bit of worry for us as consumers and pet food owners um, if we're feeding our pets fish-based or tuna-based foods uh, routinely. I think this would affect mostly cats. It's mostly cats, yes. And they're getting <laughs> and that like... becomes even more of a concern because cats are actually more are sensitive to mercury than most other species like dogs. And then they're getting like 30 to 120 cans per month, too. Right. right? So I mean, <laughs> I mean, I know my cats eat two cans of what food every day each. Um, so that's 60 cans for each cat daily. And if I were only feeding them tuna, that adds up to a lot of mercury in one month. Dr. Debbie, do you know if there's any correlation between uh, mercury and, and, and certain ailments? What, why are we so concerned about the mercury, Dr. Debbie? Well, I mean, uh, a lot of the big concerns are just multi-systemic. We can have neurologic disorders. There are, um, you know, digestive problems that can occur as well. Um, and the concern with, like, you know, children is, you know, or pregnant women is, you know, the developmental um, status of, you know, altering um, an abnormal development of a fetus. Um, so that's a big concern. I'd say that we really don't look at with the, you know, the cats and dogs as well. So it's kind of a across the whole spectrum of things there. Dr. Sarah Dunham Cheatham is joining us. Uh, She is a postdoctoral scholar with a background in soil science and geochemistry, and she is the one that's done (laughs) the research on these hundred samples of pet food and has discovered high levels of mercury in the the pet foods. Uh, What do you think we need to do? Is it mostly up to regulation now? Um, Well, interesting you asked that because uh, earlier this month, the House actually voted to deregulate the regulation that they have currently for pet foods. So a lot of the standards that were set and regulations that are out there or were out there set by the 2007 uh, pet food epidemic um, were just actually removed. So the FDA has even less authority now over what pet foods uh, manufacturers are creating. Um, So as a pet food consumer um, and pet owner, I think the concern and the action should be um, to really pay attention to what's in your pet food, read the labels uh, suspiciously, or at least um, consider where those ingredients might be coming from, and back off the fish (laughs) 
is what I can tell you, at least from the Mercury side. Okay. I have so many questions still. We're going to have to take a quick break. Dr. Sarah Dunham Cheatham, this gal is responsible for the research that shows that your pet probably is consuming a little too much mercury. And she found out some other stuff, too. You want to stick around for that. It's Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth, you have 14 login passwords, and you can't remember any of them. Doug 1, Doug 2, Doug is awesome. Doug is awesome, 1, 2, 3. Truth, it's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. Doug is super cool, ampersand, underscore, exclamation point, exclamation point, 1985. Knew it. GEICO, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Well, you found us. It is Animal Radio, celebrating the connection with our pets. And we are with Dr. Sarah Dunham Cheatham. She is a postdoctoral scholar, and she has a background in soil science and geochemistry. And in her latest project, she sampled 100 pet foods off the shelves. These are the foods you and I buy and she found out 16 of those samples contained mercury concentrations well above the maximum tolerable limit. Imagine feeding your cat that food every day, twice a day. You, you found out some more stuff, too. Uh, duck and potato. There's a particular duck and potato food. Did it have duck or potato in it? And if not, what did it have in there? Uh, so we, Yeah, so there's actually two components of our current research project. So one is looking at total mercury and methylmercury, which is an organic form of mercury that's extremely toxic for um, all forms of life. But the second portion is also looking at the DNA composition of food. Um, and so uh, we've kind of done a very quick preliminary test of a couple different pet foods just to see if it was worthwhile uh, to pursue this project. But basically we tested a duck and potato dog food um, and we found that there was duck in the food, so that was a con- not a concern. Um, but we also found that there were sheep in the food, sheep. and there was no sheep on the label. <laughs> um, oh, no. So we do know that some of these manufacturers are using products that are not identified on the package ingredient list, which for animals that maybe have allergies or sensitivities to certain products becomes a concern for their health. Um, and so we're also looking at the DNA composition of the foods that we'll be analyzing for mercury um, to see if, the ingredients are accurate or not. It doesn't do much good to read a label then. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> that's they read with suspicion. <laughs> I think of people that, you know, um, have allergies to different food products. Sure. You know, I have several employees that are allergic to peanuts or um, shellfish. And, you know, if we really look at animals' health in the same way, we really ought to have some some significant standards to say what is in there is actually in there. So I think this is – your research is, is really important yep. to call this out and say – what is really in there, and if it's not what they're saying, then get the damn sheep out of my duck food. <laughs> and I don't want to pay for duck, but I'm getting sheep either. <laughs> I, too, appreciate your research. Who pays for it? Um, so right now we are crowdfunding our project. So we don't want any money from pet food manufacturers or big donors. We want pet food owners uh, to completely support us on this and be part of our investigation and the actions that will come out of it. Um, so we're hoping for $25,000, and that will cover total mercury, methylmercury, and DNA analyses for at least 100 pet foods 
Um, right now we're at about $1,000. So you can donate at our Facebook page at facebook.com slash petfoodmercury. Um, and the link to donate is on there. But it's uh, 100% of the donation comes straight to us. There's no overhead. Um, and it also supports undergraduate and graduate research opportunities. We also have students um, besides myself that will be doing these analyses and, and getting research experience out of it as well. Mm. All very worthwhile. Facebook.com slash Mercury, and we'll put links to everything you've heard today over at animalradio.pet. Dr. Sarah Dunham-Cheatham, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, the dog father, Joey Villani, is on Animal Radio. He makes a... You make a comfortable living as a groomer, I would say. You're making bank. I've I've done very well um, as, as a pet groomer. I have. Um, I've invested a lot of time and money into it, though. It's not like I, you know, um, I'm, I, I learn every single day, so... Yeah, and I admire that, but I can't afford your services, frankly. Well, it's funny because that's that's what my that's my topic. My okay. topic today is for people who can't because it was actually a neighbor of mine or an old neighbor of mine. She was asking me if I knew of a place that would um, be able to help her out. And unfortunately, I don't live in the neighborhood anymore because I would have just gone and, and, and have done it. Everyone, pet groomers have to make a living like everyone else. Sure. The problem is it is it can be costly. And to give that up, in order to do charity work, um, sometimes it's hard. What I used to do was is I used to have a, a, an evening night where I, I would call people in and, um, and do their pets basically next to nothing. But not everyone could do that because, you know, I didn't really have too much of a family. I had a wife and four dogs. So sometimes I didn't want to go home. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that, that being said, that being said, people that are on a budget, you know what? You have options, okay? If you can't afford the grooming, and again, if it's man's best friend, you want to make sure they're comfortable. You have a lot of people on fixed incomes or people who just, um, you know, for whatever reason, cannot afford it. In almost every county that I know of, at least when I was in the state of New Jersey, and I know a lot here in California, um, you have Votech. Now, Votech is um, the kids that aren't going to college. They offer them careers um, you know, in the working world. And pet grooming in most of these schools now are very, very popular. Well, you can bring your pet to Votech, and it's um, usually – has a very qualified instructor that probably does 90% of the work, and they do it very, very um, safely because they follow the procedures impeccably because they're teaching someone. And for almost next to nothing, or it might even be nothing, you can have your pet groomed by these places, or look for pet grooming schools in your um, in your, in your local um, yellow pages, or go online. You may have some some place that you don't even know that's right down the block because a lot of grooming salons now what they're doing is they're getting licensed to be able to train. So it could be in the grooming salon right down the street that actually has a program. By the way, I get my hair done at the uh, local school. At, uh, the B- grooming school? BIT, the Barber's Institute of Technology. It's a human. It's not It's not oh, for pets. It's okay. for humans. But for $9, they do my hair. Not bad. <laughs> yeah. No hair jokes, you guys. What hair? <laughs> yeah. You said it. It is time for us to get on out of here. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget, you can get your fix over at the website at animalradio.pet or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone, Android, and BlackBerry. It's a free download, so go do it right now. Have yourself a great week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. This is Animal Radio Network.